You're listening to Northwest Chinese Baptist Church Podcast. To learn more about Northwest, including our gathering time, visit us at nwcbc.org. Today's speaker will be Pastor Stephen Yi. Well, good morning, everyone. Hey, praise God, there is no feedback this morning. When I open my mouth, yes, thank you. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. But uh, ever since we moved back into this sanctuary, <laughs> whenever I would use this microphone and open my mouth, there would be feedback that came out and would pierce the eardrums of everyone in attendance. And so thank God that uh, our sound crew was able to figure out the problem and fix it. There is an actual problem with the equipment, not my voice. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway... Uh, welcome. Welcome to Northwest Chinese Baptist Church. I am so glad that you are here. I am so thankful that we can gather together to worship our amazing God together this morning. And so thank you for being here. Now, I do have something to share with you, and it's a prayer request. Uh, dear brothers and sisters, dear church family, I do want to share with all of you that our dear brother in Christ, Chet Yu, he went to be with the Lord this past Thursday. And uh, for those of you that have known him, uh, we will miss our dear brother in Christ. We grieve today, but we grieve with hope, knowing that those of us who are part of the family of God, we will enjoy someday a reunion with him. And so I look forward to that day, and I rejoice in the fact that because of his faith in Jesus Christ, that he is no longer in pain, he is not suffering he is in the full joy and in the presence of our Savior. And so would you please continue to pray uh, for Chet's wife, Fanny, and his son, Joel, and their family. And as we get more information about services and times, we'll pass that along to each of you. Please also continue to pray for the Aramata family and for the Steinbachs uh, as they grieve as well. Um, but would you please join me now in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father God, we praise you. You are God Almighty. You're the creator of the heavens and the earth. God, you created each one of us. You planned for each one of us. And God, we thank you that you've given us life today. We are gathered together to worship you, to praise the greatness of who you are, to thank you, God, for the great things that you have done. And God, we look forward with anticipation to the day that we will see you face to face. And every day that we are alive and breathing, we know that in your patience and, and according to your plan, God, you've given us another day to experience you working mightily in the hearts of your people, furthering your kingdom, accomplishing your plans. And so, God, we give you thanks. And yet, God, it doesn't mean that just because we have faith in you that we don't hurt, that we don't grieve. But God, as you say in your word, you tell us that as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we grieve with hope. For we know that the grave is not the end for those of us in Christ Jesus. But it is just the beginning of a new season of the rest of forever with you. For that, God, for that assurance, we give you thanks. And God, we lift up our dear brothers and sisters who are grieving today, who have lost a loved one. And God, we pray for your peace, for your comfort, for your strength, that your word, God, would be on their minds and in their hearts, your promises, your love, your presence would be felt. And God, I pray um, 
that faith would be strengthened. And I pray, God, that you would strengthen them during this difficult time. And God, that as a church family, we would come together and that we would bear each other's burdens, that we would walk alongside our dear brothers and sisters through this season, during this time. And ultimately, God, we pray that you would be glorified. God, we thank you again for today. Thank you for being so good to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I have a question for all of you. Does anybody know the name of the person, the most written about person in all of history? A person that actually lived here on earth. Anyone know who the most written about person is in all of history? Hmm. I was looking up on the internet, I, I googled this question. Wikipedia told me that Muhammad Ali is the most written about person in the world. And though Muhammad Ali is very famous and, and well written about, um, I think they were not looking at ancient writings or current writings. <laughs> because the most written about person in all of history is Jesus Christ. Let's not get that wrong. Jesus Christ is the most written about person who has ever lived. But if you really think about it, Jesus is also the person, even though he's most written about, he is the person that is mostly rejected by the world. And so I ask you another question today. What do you know about Jesus? You know, many people know some things about Jesus. Some people may say that Jesus was a Jewish first century leader, that he was a rabbi, that he was a prophet that he was a good moral person. Those things may very well be true. But why is it then that most of the world rejects Jesus? What is it that, that everyone is missing about Jesus? What is it that if they knew, if they just knew about him, that it would change everything? Well, I want to share that with you today. You know, we're studying the book of Mark. And the gospel writer Mark, he tells us about this man named Jesus. And see, at the time of the writing that, that Mark wrote this gospel, Jesus, he was not fully known by the very people that followed him. And Jesus, what was he doing? He was going from place to place, teaching God's law, gathering disciples, debating with religious leaders. He was healing people. He was casting out demons. He was even settling legal disputes. But here's the thing that we know as Christians that the majority of the world does not know. We know as Christians who Jesus really is. We know who Jesus is. He is Jesus Christ. He's God's son. He's the Messiah. He's the savior of the world who died on the cross, who went to the grave, who went in the tomb, and on the third day he rose from the dead. He is the one that, where we can find salvation to all those who believe in him through faith. You see, the writer Mark, the writer Mark knows who Jesus is. And in this first chapter where we have been focusing these past months, and today we're going to look at chapter 1, verses 35 through 45. Mark wants everyone to know who Jesus is. But how does this passage, how is this passage this morning that we're going to look at and study, how is this going to help us to know Jesus? Well, as we study this passage, these 10 verses this morning, I want you to look at what Jesus did and what Jesus says. 
Look at what Jesus did, or more accurately, what Jesus did and what Jesus said. If you really want to get to know someone, and this is just a, this is an extra truth for you guys to keep in mind. If you really want to get to know somebody, what do we need to look at? This is for you single people out there. You're looking for a future husband or wife. Here is a principle to live by. If you really want to get to know somebody and find out if God has planned them for you to be your husband or to be your wife, what should you look at? Look at what they say and look at what they do. If you want to get to know somebody and who they really are, look at what they say and what they do when they are just with you, but also when they're with other people. Look at what they say and look at what they do. That's how you can really get to know someone. Well, my point in sharing this with you is to now look at Jesus. Look at what Jesus is going to, what he says here, and look at what he does in these following verses. And I want to read these to you, Mark chapter 1, verses 35 through 45. If you like to follow along on, on a piece of paper, there's an outline provided for you in that program. Or if you want to join us by looking on the screen, I'm going to read these verses again out loud. And please follow along silently. Mark chapter 1, verses 35 through 45. Mark writes, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go. Show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. You know, remember, as we're studying this gospel, this writing, this account written by Mark, the very beginning of this, this book, chapter 1, Mark is giving an account of the life and the ministry of Jesus, talking about what Jesus has said and what Jesus has done. And we see, right, Jesus is teaching, he's going to the synagogues, he's performing miracles, casting out demons, healing people. And here, he's at... He's in the city of Galilee. He's proclaiming the good news of God, right? He's saying the kingdom of God is coming. Repent and believe. Repent and trust in me. Believe in me. And if you remember back in verse 15, right? Jesus says the time has come. He said the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and do what? And believe the good news. Jesus, what is he doing? He's building the kingdom of God. He's calling everyone everywhere to repent. That means to Acknowledge your sin, to turn from your sin and turn to God and trust Him and follow Him as Lord. 
to repent and believe the good news. The good news is a story. It's not a story, actually. The, the, the good news is the person of Jesus Christ. See, if you really want to get to know someone, look at what they say and look at what they do. So look at verses 35 through 37 with me. What is Jesus doing? Jesus is advancing his kingdom through prayer. And that's the first point in our outline. Jesus is advancing his kingdom through prayer. Verse 35 through 37, right? Very early in the morning, it was still dark. Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon, Peter, and his companions went looking for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you, Jesus. Jesus is teaching. He's performing miracles. More and more people are hearing the news of this amazing guy named Jesus and the amazing things that he is doing. And so crowds are forming. They're coming. They want to see. They want to see what is going on. And, and more so than that, they want something. Jesus has been up late. I'm sure he's tired. I don't know how many of you enjoy and love standing in front of crowds and hundreds and hundreds, thousands of people speaking all day, every day. And performing miracles, healing, casting out demons. Jesus had been up late. He's tired. And yet what does he do? He wakes up early before the sun has even risen. How many of you wake up before the sun rises? By choice. A couple of you. Some of you just because that's when your body wakes you up. Jesus goes to pray. There are three prayers of Jesus in, accounted for in the book of Mark. The first is found here at the beginning in chapter 1, where we see that his ministry has begun and is being defined. The second is in the middle of the gospel, when the people wanted to take him by force and make Jesus their king. And you can see that in John chapter 6, verse 15. And then the final prayer, I mean, this is in the book of Mark, is near the end, when he is in the garden of Gethsemane. He's asking, he's talking to God, his heavenly father, and he's saying, God, if there is any way, take this cup away from me. You see that in Mark chapter 14, verses 32 through 42. You see, what does it mean? What's the significance that Jesus prayed? See, the proof, this was proof of his person. The proof of his person had been demonstrated by what he did and, and what he said, his miracles, and by the power that was being displayed through his actions. But it was also defined by prayer. Jesus was fully dependent on the Heavenly Father. Jesus was fully dependent on God for everything. He was totally surrendered to the will of God the Father, and he was operating fully dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit. These are critical moments in his life. And yet here, what does he choose to do? He chooses to go off to be still, to go to a solitude place, to be in solitude, and he chooses to talk with his Father, to talk with God. And why? Because he realizes that he could not do anything without that relationship, without God, without God's strength, without the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, Jesus is not just a human. He's not just a man. Jesus is God. But yet he finds himself here. He is both God and man. And he recognizes his need for his Father. He goes and he prays. And in this time of solitude prayer, he finds strength 
and experiences intimate fellowship with his dad. And while Jesus is alone praying, what happens? Peter, frantically, right? Peter comes, Jesus, everyone is looking for you. Where have you? It's like Peter is saying, you're kind of rebuking Jesus almost. Where are you? You're supposed to be over here, yet you're here praying. Do you not see all of these people are here for you? The multitudes have gathered to come and to see Jesus. Right? And Peter frantically finds him and almost like yelling at him. But think about this. Was Jesus surprised? Did he know that the people were gathered to see him? Did he know? Jesus knew exactly how many people there were. Jesus knew exactly why they were there. And when we look at this, it, it, sometimes it's, it's comical to look at because we have the privilege of hindsight and seeing both Jesus and Peter in this moment. Jesus knew exactly what was happening, yet Peter did not. Peter looked at the outside and looked at the situation, right, as we all would do, right, logically. Well, all these people here, Jesus, you just performed these miracles. You just cast out demons, as we learned about last week and the week before that. Jesus, they're all here before you. Look at this opportunity. Yet why are you here praying by yourself? Peter just says, everyone's looking for you, Jesus. But what does Jesus say? Why is Jesus here? Why did Jesus come? We know by looking at, at God's word and, and studying in the previous weeks, Jesus had come to preach the good news of his coming kingdom. Jesus had come to seek and to save the lost. His ultimate purpose was not to deliver people from temporal ailments, but instead Jesus came to save them from their sin and eternal judgment. You see, meeting people's physical needs was a demonstration of divine compassion. And it was a demonstration of, of, of divine power. But what did Jesus come to do? He came to redeem sinners. How does he respond? Oh, yeah, you're right, Peter. I forgot there's a bunch of people here to see me. Let's go. What does Peter say? Or what does Jesus say? He says, let's go somewhere else. <laughs> Let's go somewhere else. What? You're going to leave all these people hanging, Jesus? Let's go somewhere else. You see, Jesus' life of prayer was more than just a model for his disciples to follow. It's more than a model and an example for us to follow. It was essential. It was an essential part of who he is and who he was and his life. It was an essential part of his obedience and an essential part of his submission to God. That is why Jesus prayed, because he needed to pray. And it is also a way for you and me to reveal and to show our obedience and our submission and our dependence upon God, too. You see, prayer reveals our dependence, our obedience, and our submission, or our lack of, to God. Because here's what happens when you pray. Have you ever thought about what does it mean to pray? I know my, sometimes my kids are just so used to praying before meals, right? God, thank you for the food. Bless the food. How do you bless food? But God, bless the food. Help it to nourish our bodies. Thank you for today. Amen. 
What happens when we pray? Have you ever thought about it? What happens? What are we doing when we pray? When we pray, we acknowledge that apart from Jesus Christ, we can do nothing. Prayer is like saying, God, I need you to do what only you can and will do. God, I need you. And Jesus, he is our perfect example of prayer and dependence on God. He was all about God's business, God's will, God's plan. He was all about seeking and saving the lost. And so what did Jesus choose to do here in this moment? To devote himself to prayer, to talking and enjoying the presence of his heavenly Father, of God his Father. Knowing this, that if God planned to save people, it was going to happen, and that he needed God to accomplish God's plans. And so I ask you, dear friends, what about you? Do you pray? For some of us, if we're honest, and if you were to ask me years ago, do I pray? Honestly, I would say no. No, I really don't pray. And if you were to ask me why don't I pray, I would really have to say, well, it's because I guess I really don't need God. See, what do your prayers say about what you believe about Jesus? Because here's the thing about prayer. Remember, our prayers reveal what we believe about God and about his word. For a lot of my life, I, this is not a confessional, but I just want to be honest with you. If you were to look at my prayers and you were to kind of determine and define who Jesus is by how I used to pray, you would think that Jesus is like some magical genie that exists to make my life on earth safe, comfortable, and luxurious. God, help me to do well in school. Help me to do well on this test. God, help me to get that job. God, help me to, to marry Debbie because she's so wonderful and so beautiful and gracious and godly and so many other things that I could go on and on. But it was just asking God for this and this and this and this and this. There is nothing about eternity in my prayers. There's nothing from God's word in my prayers. There's nothing about God's kingdom being built in my prayers. Dear brothers and sisters, dear church, if, if we are a body surrendered to Jesus Christ as our head, then we must prioritize God's mission and take his word seriously. And if we are a church that takes God's word seriously, then we will know that we seriously need to pray. When we put him first, we will pray. It's not something that I have to tell you to do. Church, you need to pray. It's just when we recognize who God is and who we are and what the reality of our world is that's broken and death and dying because of sin, then we recognize that we need God. We need God to move. We need God to change hearts, to change lives, to open people's eyes to the truth of the gospel, that people would be saved. We'll understand that God is going to have to work in mighty ways because we surely can't make anything happen on our own. Let's not be like the crowd in this verses. Yes, they were amazed by the miracles that Jesus was performing, yet more and more came. They were there for the performance. They were not there for the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus knew that. 
He knew, yes, there's so many people here, but they really don't care about me. They just want something. They want to be healed. They want food. They want to, they, they want to, their demons cast out. They don't want to be saved. They don't want to be, they don't want to submit to me as their Lord and follow me all the way to heaven. He knew their hearts. And so what does he say? It's time to go somewhere else. Let's go. There's people that are dying that need to hear the good news. I mean, he didn't say that. He said what he said here. So I don't want to add anything. But he's saying, let's go somewhere else. I got to preach. I got to tell people the good news. Let's not be like the crowd. Does anyone want to take a guess as to what the most commonly requested prayer request is? When people share a prayer request with me. Anyone want to guess what they're asking for? What? Money? Uh, not the number one. Maybe that's number two. No, it's not money. Number one thing that people, to my knowledge, I don't keep track, um, is healing. Physical healing. Physical healing. Not spiritual healing. Physical healing. And this is not a bad thing. I'm not bashing people. Yes, if, if you have a prayer request, please share with us. Share with our prayer team. We have prayer warriors here at this church that I'm so thankful for that care and love you and love Jesus and know that in order for us to be healed and in order for lives to change, God has to work. Yes, share with us your requests about physical healing, but I want you to know, dear brother and sister, Jesus did not come so that you would be physically healed and comfortable and safe here on earth. Jesus came to save your souls. And he's called us to share that good news so that other people can be saved, not just for a hundred or if you lived a 200 years old here on earth, but so that you can be saved for the rest of forever. You see, to know Jesus is to know that he came to seek and save the lost. To know Jesus is to know that he's building his kingdom. To know Jesus is to know that he advances his kingdom, fully dependent and submitted to God the Father, and he prays. Think about how Jesus taught the disciples to pray. You look at Matthew chapter 6. I don't have it on the screen, but you can write it down. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13, known as the Lord's Prayer. You know, and I appreciate Larry. He, he quoted the Lord's Prayer in his prayer. But let me read it to you. This is how Jesus taught the disciples how to pray. They asked him, Jesus, how should we pray? This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Look at, think about this prayer. What does this prayer reveal about the heart of the one praying this prayer? Think about it. Starts off, Jesus, our Father in heaven, talking to God. Hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. He starts off this prayer by praising God. Praise is acknowledging God for who he is. Acknowledging his greatness, his goodness. Not thanking him for the things that he's done. But acknowledging his character. Praising God. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done. What does that show? It shows a priority. 
a priority on God's plan, God's will, God's word. It shows a submission. God, I pray that your will will be done, that your kingdom will come. Give us today our daily bread, okay? It's okay to ask for something. It's okay to ask something for yourself. Give us today our daily bread. What does that mean? It means that, God, daily I depend on you to provide for my every need. God, give me my daily bread for today. I trust that you will provide what I need, not what I want. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those, our debtors, those are, who have sinned against us. What does this show? It shows an acknowledgement of our sin and a need, a, a, an attitude and a, and a posture of repentance, right? Acknowledging our sin, turning from our sin, turning back to God, asking God for forgiveness and receiving God's forgiveness, knowing that Jesus paid the price once and for all on the cross. And it shows obedience to God's word, doesn't it? Right? Forgive me, God. I'm a sinner. As, but as I am also forgiving those who have sinned against me. Because, God, you've called me to forgive just like you forgive me. You called me to love Jesus just like you love me. And what's the last part? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. There's an acknowledgement there. Yes, we live in a broken world. We're going to be tempted by our flesh, our weakness. We're going to be tempted by Satan. We're in a spiritual battle every day. And so God, help me. Help me not to fall for the schemes of the evil one. Help me not to give in to the temptations of this world and of my flesh. God, I know you are the only one that can help me to overcome sin, overcome temptation, and give me the strength to live in righteousness and to live a life set apart for you. What does this prayer say about this? The heart of this one praying. And this is Jesus. But what do your prayers say about what you believe about God? This is not a formula for you to repeat. I mean, this is not a word-for-word -word prayer for you to repeat. I'm not saying, please don't get me wrong, guys. This is, I'm not sharing this passage with you to say, whenever you pray, Repeat the Lord's Prayer. Because if you don't, you're not praying like Jesus taught. I'm saying look at what this communicates about what this person knows about God. Yes, Jesus is teaching this. He is God. So he's saying, guys, this is how you should talk to me. This is how you should pray with this attitude, with this dependence and submission. Brothers, if I'm tempted to pray only for my personal gain, and the temporal provision for those around me, then I know that you are tempted in this way too. If our prayers mostly are centered around temporal provisions of this life, then we are also going to be leading people to have a temporary faith in provisions and not in the person of Jesus. I don't want to be that kind of church. I want to be a church that points people to Jesus and not to the temporary things that he might provide for us here on this earth. But instead on the most precious thing that he provides, that's himself. Parents, are we teaching our kids to prioritize personal provisions and preferences? Or are we leading them to prize a personal relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Church, 
We need to follow the words of Jesus Christ here. We need to repent and we need to believe. Will you pray, church? Will you pray for the lost to be saved? Will you ask God to trust him as you desire to live in obedience to his word? Will you pray for God to use you to reach that one person that you know that needs Jesus Christ? Will you do that today? Will you pray on your own? Will you pray together with your church family? Will you pray with your biological family because you realize how much you need God? Right? Prayer reveals what we truly believe about God. Is God a magical genie or is he the Lord of your life? If he's not the Lord of your life right now, then I want you to know that today he can be. He will be. And all you have to do is ask him. Jesus lived the perfect life. Jesus was all about God's plan. And what did he do? Jesus prayed. And the second thing that Jesus did that we can look at is he advanced his kingdom through preaching. Preaching. Look at, look at this, this passage here, 38 and 39, verse 38, 39. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby village so I can preach there also. That's why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and driving out demons. Look at his response again, right? He says, let's go. We're out of here. Let's go somewhere else. I got to preach the good news, right? Let's go somewhere else. Why? So I can preach there. Why? Because that's why I've come. Brothers and sisters, the word of God is essential. Not just talking about preaching as someone standing up in front of you, a pastor preaching the word of God to you. And as we're looking at Jesus and as he's teaching and preaching the good news, the gospel, this is an encouragement for each one of us of how essential the word of God is to our lives and our relationship with God. We also need to be proclaiming the word of God wherever we go to everyone that God brings into our lives. We cannot say, Pastor Steve will teach them. We cannot say Deacon Larry will teach them. Each one of us has been given the gift of God's word, and we also have the responsibility to share it with the world so that all people might be saved and come to that saving faith in Jesus Christ as Lord. The word of God is essential to our spiritual lives. And if we, brothers and sisters, are not feeding on the word of God daily, and daily living it out intentionally, then we are dying spiritually. Our understanding of God's word and how we live it out, it reveals what we believe about God also. See, because if I spend a lifetime sitting through sermons and I never take one step of faith or reach out my hand in obedience one time, then all of that is wasted my faith has not meant anything because I have disregarded and rejected the word of God. See, on the outside, it seemed like such a prime opportunity for the people, right? So many people have gathered to see you, Jesus. But like I said before, Jesus knew why they were there. He knew their hearts. They didn't come to give their lives to him and gain eternal life. They came to get something that would only feed them for a little while. And Jesus knew all of this. He knew they were not there to listen. And so he says, let's go elsewhere. I need to teach. I need to proclaim the good news so that people might be saved. Guys, brothers, sisters, teaching the word of God is a responsibility for all of us. 
and I want to clarify this, not everybody is gifted by God as a teacher, but everyone is responsible for teaching the Word of God. If we are not sharing God's Word, then we are disobeying God. Not everyone has been given that gift, but again, it is all of our responsibility. You don't have to be a to go to seminary or get a master's degree in theology. You don't have to be a pastor or a missionary to share and to help someone know the Word of God. You simply have to be willing and you simply need to take time yourself to know it and live it out. And do you want, do you know, do you know, brothers and sisters, do you know who or what is our greatest help in knowing and sharing God's Word? Do you know the greatest resource that we have? Anyone say it? Pastor Steve, right? No, no, definitely not. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, the same Holy Spirit that performed these miracles, that healed the sick, that gave sight to the blind, that parted the Red Sea, that same power of God is in you and in me. Yeah, why are we so afraid? Why are we so easily distracted? Do you know what the followers of Jesus used to be called back in biblical times? Do you know what, how, how people used to refer to them? One of the names for, for Christians was followers of the way. Followers of the way. Why? Because they followed God's word, God's way. They followed Jesus. They followed Jesus' way. And yet I want to share something that I know has been a struggle since the beginning of mankind. And my encouragement is that instead of being followers, well, not my encouragement, but something that grieves me deeply and breaks my heart, is that instead of being followers of the way, a lot of times, and I have been guilty of this, we have become followers of my way. Instead of following the way, we are followers of my way. What I want Right? My way, when I want it, how I want it. Brothers and sisters, there's a great problem that we face in the church today. And it has to do with self-centered consumerism, a self-centered consumeristic mentality. Right? I want it my way right away. And if I don't like it, and it doesn't make me feel good, then I will go away. Something that grieves my soul is how highly people prioritize their preferences over the Word and over the family of God. They forget that being a follower of Jesus means that you are a part of a family. And I have been talking to so many people, I've talked to so many people through the years who are not active members of a local church. And when I talk to them, they say this to me, Pastor Steve, you know, I really like the sermons that I find online and, and the podcasts. And, you know, I haven't been going to church anywhere, but, but I, I really just enjoy hearing the word online. I'm like... That's great, but you're missing out on so much. Watching and hearing a sermon online is not God's will for us, church. Dear friends, this is not all of God's plan for you, is to just sit behind a computer or watch on a device and listen to a lesson from God's Word. God planned for each of us to be active, contributing members of His body. He created and called us to do our part in His plan, to do things and fulfill a responsibility that He has uniquely planned for each one of us. 
We have a responsibility and a need for one another. And yet I see so many disregard God's word and membership in the body of Christ and instead choose their own way. I see so many treat the family of God like something so frivolous. Like being a member of the family of God is an issue of comfort and convenience. And I'm not pointing to anyone in this room. I point at myself because I have treated the church this way. This is not the church that Jesus is building. He is not building a group of online observers or casual attenders. Jesus' desire is obedience. He desires obedience, not observation. Romans 12, 1 through 2, the Apostle Paul writes this about the life lived in worship to God. Paul writes, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We must look to Jesus. Brothers and sisters, we got to look to Jesus. We got to look to his word. Look at what he said and look at what he did as our perfect example Look at what he prioritized and what he valued. Look at how he devoted his life to doing the will of God the Father. Look at how he loved and how he sacrificed for the benefit of others. Jesus' words are for you and for me, brother and sister. We need to repent and believe in Jesus Christ alone. And so I ask you, will you learn the word of God? Will you eat from the word of God? And will you live out the word of God? Will you be a doer and not just a hearer? Will you lead your family, parents? Will you lead your family and those around you to know and live out God's word as well? And I want to encourage you, if you're not doing that right now, you can start today. It's never too late. It's not too late until Jesus comes. Start tonight. Get into the word yourself and then just share what you're learning, what God is teaching you with the people around you. You don't have to know how to structure a study or to structure a sermon or to create an outline. You just got to share what you know. Jesus advances his kingdom through prayer, through preaching, and this is the last point. He advances his kingdom through cleansing. Look at verses 40 through 45. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifice that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. So what's going on? I want you to try to picture this in your head. He heals this man with leprosy. And how does he heal him? He reaches out and he touches him. Jesus is going throughout Galilee, preaching in the synagogues, driving out demons, performing miracles. This man with leprosy comes to Jesus and drops to his knees, begging him, Jesus, will you heal me? Will you make me clean? Do any of you know how outrageous this, the actions of this man with leprosy are? This is ridiculous what this man is doing to Jesus. 
Do you know what it means to have leprosy back in those times? And in our current time, this leprosy is known as Hansen's disease. It's a devastating bacterial infection that disfigured a person's appearance and debilitated their nervous system. And oftentimes, people were left to die that suffered with leprosy. On top of this physical difficulty, these people with leprosy were considered unclean spiritually. They were cast out of society. They were kicked out of their homes, out of their cities. They were forced to live in isolated places outside the gates. They could not worship with everyone. They could not be with their families. They could not be with their friends. They could not associate with anybody else or else those people would be unclean. They had to live in isolation until they were healed or until they died. They were destitute and outcast. And this man with leprosy, how dare him? walk amongst the people and walk up to Jesus and talk to Jesus? He's crazy. He talks to Jesus. How dare this unclean man be among people, first of all, and then come up to Jesus? This was ridiculous to everybody who was there observing. How could this be happening? Yet, this was not outrageous for Jesus. Do you see that? When you look at that, this was not outrageous for Jesus. For why did Jesus come? He came to save those who were not well. He came to save the sick, not those who are healthy. He came to seek and to save the lost. And this man with leprosy came to Jesus despite public laws and despite public opinion because why? Because he believed that Jesus would save him. He says, Jesus, if you are willing, make me clean. Do you see the significance in that statement? If you are willing, he didn't say heal me from leprosy. He said, Jesus, if you're willing, make me clean. Wow. Because what did Jesus give him? He didn't just heal his physical ailments. Jesus forgave him of his sin. And why did he do that? Because that man trusted Jesus as Lord. He asked Jesus, make me clean if you are willing, did Jesus go with the crowd in that moment? Did Jesus say, get away, you filthy scum? How dare you talk to me? It does say that Jesus was indignant. <laughs> that kind of confused me for a second. When I read that Jesus was indignant, I had to look up the word. Indignant means is a feeling or showing anger or annoyance at what is perceived as unfair treatment or, or the situation or whatever is going on. What, Jesus was angry? But was he angry at this guy with leprosy? No. What does he say? He says, I am willing. Be clean. No, Jesus wasn't mad. In other translations, it says Jesus showed compassion on this man. And so what does that mean? It means Jesus' heart broke for this man that was dead and dying in his sin and in leprosy. Jesus had compassion, and his heart broke for him. Think about it. Jesus knew exactly what this man's experience was, how he lived life day by day, outcast, lonely, with nobody. And he healed him. He made him clean. Not only did he make him clean by saying, hey, wait, stay back, dude. You're nasty. Stay back.
He touched him. He didn't have to. It's not a magical formula. Jesus says, I will do it. And then Jesus has to extend his hand. And then Jesus has to touch you. And then you're healed. Jesus chose to touch him. Because do you know why? He knew that nobody would touch this guy. He had compassion. He healed this man. Jesus knew the man's condition. He knew his pain, his loss, his isolation, his hopelessness, the deadness of his life. And Jesus loved him. Jesus' heart broke for this man. He was not angry at, his man, at this man. Jesus hurt for this man. And he says, I am willing. Be clean. It is only by grace through faith that we are saved. It's not of ourselves or our own work. It's a gift of God so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do the very good things in accomplishing his plans that he created for us to do. You are created, you are loved, you're created with a purpose and God has a plan for you and that includes today. Sitting here, hearing his word today, but the call is the same. Brothers and sisters, dear friends, if you're listening online, if you're watching and observing online, thank you. But I invite you to come. And today I invite you to come to Jesus. Would you repent and believe the good news that Jesus is Lord? My brothers, my sisters, that is a call for you and me as well. To repent from our sin, the ways that we disobey God by knowingly or unknowingly to turn from our sin and to turn back to him and trust him and follow him. Brother and sister, friend, will you repent and believe the good news today? Have you ever felt like you were on the outside and everyone else was on the inside? We look at this leper, we know, he, he knew what it meant to be on the outside because he was physically on the outside. And his outside was dead, as well as his inside. Yet Jesus, in that moment, think about the significance. Why would Mark share this? It's because this is an example of what Jesus Christ has done for you and for me. For Jesus was on the inside. Jesus was with God the Father. He was in heaven. He was on his throne. And what did Jesus choose to do? He chose to came, come to earth to become a man to suffer a horrific death on the cross, to pay the price for your and my sin so that you and I could be forgiven and have the hope of eternal life. I'm almost done. This is an example of what Jesus has done for you. Jesus, look at what happened to him because he healed this leper. He was forced to go to the outside and to be alone because the man didn't listen to him and he told the world as I would do, look at what Jesus has done for me. More and more people wanted to come to him. More and more people came. But because of that, Jesus had to go outside. Jesus had to be isolated. And that's exactly what he did when he took your sin and my sin and took it to the cross and he gave us his righteousness. What a beautiful exchange. Brother and sister, will you repent and will you believe the good news today? Will you recognize God's plan and purpose for your life? Will you pray and will you proclaim the word of God 
until all people are cleansed, until all people are saved from their sin. I pray that Northwest, we would not stop doing good, that we would not stop, but instead we would pray and pray that God would send more workers to reap the harvest, the spiritual harvest that he has prepared. For Jesus came to seek and save the lost, and he's calling us to carry out that mission. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father God, we praise you. And we thank you so much for your word, God. I thank you, God, for saving somebody, an outcast, a broken sinner like me. And God, I pray if there's anyone here that has not acknowledged Jesus as their Lord, I pray that they would do that right now. That right now, God, that they would confess that all you have to do is say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know I have sinned and I fall short of your perfect standard. And God, I don't want to live a life of sin. I want to live a life following you. And if you would just confess your sin and say, Jesus, I believe that you are God's son, that you died on the cross and that you rose from the dead and that you've forgiven me of my sin. And Jesus, I confess that today I want you to be my Lord and I want to follow you all the way to heaven. Dear friend, if you just prayed that, I want you to know that your sins are forgiven, that you've been given new life by the blood of Jesus Christ and that you can be certain that you will be with Jesus for the rest of forever. And dear brother and sister, I pray, God, I pray that if there's a brother and sister in Christ that needs to repent and to turn to you, God, and believe you and trust you and to follow you in obedience daily, God, I pray that we would take that step today. God, thank you for being so good to us and for showing us so much mercy and grace every day for your forgiveness. Thank you for being faithful. And God, I pray that Northwest would be a church family, God, that is obedient to you, that we would see more and more people saved by the power of your Holy Spirit as we proclaim the good news everywhere to everyone. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Dear friend, I want to invite you to rise. Church family, would you stand? We're going to sing this song. And this is a time for you to respond to God wherever you are. But if you may or may have a decision or if you want to take that next step that God is leading you towards, if you put your faith in Jesus, I encourage you as we sing this song, come forward and share with me so that I can pray with you and encourage you. Brother or sister, if you want to pray and something God has put on your heart, come up here and kneel before God at these steps and just pray to God or come and share with me so that I can pray with you. As we sing, would you come? If you're encouraged by today's message, be sure to follow us on Spotify and hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you stream your podcast. To listen to the other sermons and watch our live gatherings, visit us online at nwcbc.org. We look forward to see the difference God will make in your life. Thank you so much for listening to Northwest Chinese Baptist Church Podcast.